Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Charlie Matz, filling in for Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, May 6th, 2021. Yesterday, Cody Davidson and I drove up to Shiloh Bible Camp to walk the property as we prepare for our men's retreat, which will be there on June 4th. He and I drove up through the construction on Highway 55 and arrived at the camp to get a tour from one of the leaders. We got right down to business, walking through the facility, taking notes, and asking lots of questions. Then, our guide took us on a path down to the lake. When we walked out of the path into the bank of the water, we were struck with an incredibly peaceful scene. The snow-capped mountains were almost painted in the distance, the calm water below our feet, and the calming silence of being far away from cars and the noises of busyness. It was a breath of fresh air. Now, yesterday's reading was heavy. Judges ends with a heavy assault on the senses, reminding us of what happens when everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Today, however, we start with a breath of fresh air. We get to now focus on the redeeming kindness of God. We start the book of Ruth, and we're in chapters one and two. Now, the book of Ruth contains four chapters, and we'll get to the the next two chapters, finishing out the book tomorrow. Now, the book is named after its main character, Ruth, and the book's general theme is God's covenant kindness, and we'll see this play out through Boaz, who becomes Ruth's redeemer. Now, today, Uh, Again, we're in chapters one and two and verse one of the entire book starts off with in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So right away, we see that this story takes place around the same time as the book of Judges that we just finished reading. And as we'll see throughout these four chapters, although man's heart is sinfully wicked, God is still our redeemer. And he, through his kindness and wisdom, works to restore his people. The man who left Bethlehem was named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. They have two sons. And then Elimelech dies and leaves Naomi as a widow with her two sons. Now, these two sons, they marry Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. And after they've lived together for about 10 years, the two sons of Naomi die. Now, at some point, Naomi hears that the famine has died down back in Bethlehem, and so she plans to return, but she insists that her two daughter-in-laws don't come with her. After some back and forth with them, we read in verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And then we continue to read that Ruth's kindness has deeper spiritual implications. In verse 15, we start, And Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Going back for Ruth uh, would mean going back to her God, since there are gods tied to Moab and that territory. But Ruth is turning away from her old life and to the new life in the Lord. Even her statement echoes a truth found throughout the Old Testament covenant language, I will be your God and you shall be my people. So the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, they leave to travel back to Bethlehem together. Ruth now in Bethlehem decides to go glean some of the grain in the field. Now, 
Gleaning was a practice used to feed those who were poor or widows or those who were needy. You could gather crops from corners of a field or designated areas. And when there were leftovers fallen to the ground, you could grab those as well. And then Boaz enters the picture. Here's the, the other main character of the story. The first words from his mouth are telling, he says, the Lord be with you to the workers in the field. This is a good sign that he is a man of God. And when he first meets Ruth, he is concerned for her safety above all else. Ruth wonders why he would be so kind to her, and he mentions that he's heard of her kindness from Naomi. Then in verse 12 of chapter 2, we read, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." Boaz's words will come full circle in chapter three, as we'll see tomorrow, as God will use him to answer his own prayer. Pretty amazing. Then Boaz gives Ruth more food than is required under the law, which shows that he is very generous to her. This really reflects God's generosity and God's kindness to us. Ruth goes back and tells Naomi about what happened and mentions Boaz. And Naomi says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. It's not clear here whether she is speaking of Boaz or the Lord, and perhaps that's intentional. You see, Boaz represents the Lord many times throughout the story, particularly his kindness and his generosity. What a breath of fresh air the book of Ruth is, especially after those last three chapters of Judges. Praise God that he is kind to keep his promises. Praise God that although our sin is as dark as the behavior we see in Judges, he is as kind and loving as we see Boaz in the book of Ruth. When the effects of sin rattle our life, like we see in the life of Ruth, uh, you know, when, when we see these things happen in our life that are difficult to explain and difficult to walk through, we have a choice like she did. Do we turn back to our life of sin, giving into false gods and the temptations of our flesh, or do we turn to the God of salvation? Today's reading in Ruth is refreshing because God's loving kindness is a refreshment to our dry and weary bones. Ruth didn't deserve to be treated the way that she was by Boaz in chapter two, and she certainly didn't have any means to purchase the food that he provided, but he provided it to her out of kindness. We don't deserve a relationship with the Lord, but he has provided for all our needs through Jesus Christ, the ultimate redeemer. We will get to see the conclusion of this powerful story tomorrow. Now, although some people don't have a relationship with the Lord, humbly accepting his free gift of grace... Although they don't bend a knee to Christ, they still recognize the power of God when they see it, even if they don't admit it. And we're going to jump now to Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29 in our Gospels reading today. Now, in today's reading, we learn about the details of John the Baptist's death. But first, the initial few verses of this passage tell us what people were saying about Jesus. Some said that he was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Others said he was Elijah. And others said that he was a prophet like the prophets of old. Now, Herod, who was a ruler at this time, and the one who murdered John the Baptist, lets his opinion be known. He says that he thinks Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. And then Mark continues to tell us how Herod killed John the Baptist. And some background is that John the Baptist had told Herod that he didn't approve of him marrying Herodias, his brother's wife. Herodias didn't like that and wanted John killed, but she couldn't because, as it says, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But one day Herod has a big birthday party. 
And he promises Herodias' daughter anything that she wishes after she does some dancing. Now, the little girl runs to her mom and asks what she should wish for. And her mom tells her to ask for the head of John the Baptist. Then we read in verse 25, and she came immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Can you imagine this little girl? She probably has no idea what she's asking for here to do her mom's bidding. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. He didn't want to look foolish in front of his guests. And he does indeed follow through beheading John the Baptist. Now there's a few takeaways from this bizarre story. First off, it's clear that Herod fears John and in some way respects him, even though he disagrees with him. Herod, although given to the desires of his heart, recognizes the power of the Lord in John the Baptist. Maybe he wouldn't put it that way, but he does recognize that by fearing John. Herod is created in the image of God and probably even realizes that John has power that he doesn't possess, but wishes that he could as a leader. Second, Herod is sorry that he promises this oath to Herodias' daughter. He didn't want to kill John the Baptist. And third, going all the way back up to the beginning of this passage, Herod believes that John the Baptist could have been raised. He still sees that there is a God powerful enough to raise someone from the dead, and that power was with John the Baptist. So what can we take away from these truths? Perhaps this is an encouragement to us to continue to preach the gospel and make disciples regardless of our audience. We never know who's watching and who's recognizing the power of God in us through the Holy Spirit. Of course, God will handle the results and he is the only one who can save. But may we be diligent to point to the power of Christ, even until our death. And even if it brings about our death all the more. And speaking of the fact that only God can save, we start a new book in the Bible today in our New Testament reading that starts off with a reminder that we must focus on Christ and him alone, finding our unity in him and not the works of of men. We're in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 17, as we start the book of 1 Corinthians today. This is a letter from Paul to the church of Corinth. And as we're going to see, even in today's reading, that a main theme of this book is Paul's concern for the divided church. There's some arrogant leaders in the church causing division by trying to one-up each other. He wants them to build up the weak in the church and witness to those who don't believe. And Paul greets them to start referring to them as those sanctified in Christ. And perhaps this is a helpful reminder as to why they are unified, setting the tone for the admonishment to come. Paul comments that he is thankful for how God has blessed the Corinthians with speech, knowledge, and spiritual gifts. These are good things to be thankful for. Later, he's going to point out that they have become arrogant, not because of the presence of these gifts, but because of their heart. Then Paul brings up the report that he's received, that there is disunity in the church. He says, starting in verse 12, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Apparently, there were groups of people divided based on who baptized them. When Paul says that he's glad that he didn't baptize any of them except for Crispus and Gaius and the household of Stephanus, he doesn't discount the importance of baptism but is placing it secondary to the gospel of Christ. Baptism is for those who've repented and put their trust in Christ, which comes after the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. Now, there are a few things to think about based on today's passage in 1 Corinthians. First, it's really easy for us to get caught up in the status that human relationships can bring. Do you value any relationships in the church more simply because of how it makes you look? It's tempting to value relationships that make us look good. 
Perhaps this is most tempting when it comes to rubbing shoulders with those who have more authority, like those in Corinth did with these three leaders. Second, is there anything we're valuing more than the gospel right now? Maybe we're not doing it blatantly or even knowingly completely, but is there anything that is causing division among our friends or family that isn't the gospel? Yes, sometimes the gospel itself can divide, but rarely is there anything worth dividing over short of the gospel itself. Now, finally, let's review our reading from the Psalms today. We're in Psalm 56, and we're in verses 1 through 7. This psalm reads like a psalm of lament, but it also anticipates great thanksgiving. Uh, The psalmist starts off by talking about his enemies and being afraid. He ends our passage by speaking of how they lurk. They seek to cause him harm and they wait for his life. This is a common theme among many psalms. But right in the middle of our passage, in verse 4, we read this, In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? The psalmist is trusting God because he is praising his word. And guess what? This psalmist is praising God's word without the New Testament. How much more can we praise God now with the full canon of scripture, with the full account of Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension? That's what we have in our hands. We know how this ends, not just believing in a coming Messiah, but believing in a Messiah who's come, a Messiah who redeemed our wretched and wrecked life. Let's open up God's word this week and praise it. Amen. Let it be refreshing to our soul, a breath of fresh air. Let it overcome our circumstances because God overcomes our circumstances. We might have enemies. We might have troubles. We might have a past that lurks, but we have a redeemer who has purchased us with his blood when we could do nothing for ourselves. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. I'll be filling in for Ben Blakey until he's back on Monday, May 10th. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.